0: He's letting me start off our our next sermon series, and as you can see, it's uh, Psalms for All Seasons, and uh, and and the idea is is that uh, the Psalms can shape our prayer life, and and they're for us at all times of life. You know, uh, we often see the Psalms as worship, and they are, um, but. But uh, when you really think about what worship is and what prayer is, uh, you know, worship is the glorifying of God, the magnifying of His name, uh, proclaiming it to others, and and uh, um, there's personal worship. You need to glorify God in your own life and magnify God's name in your your own life and and proclaim Him to yourself through the Word. And uh, and of course uh, that just bleeds into prayer <laughs> as you're as you're talking to God as you're pouring your heart out to Him and and definitely I I, I just love the Psalms because the psalmists do just that uh, many of the prophets do that uh, in fact the biblical writers are very honest. Uh, in in their their giving of the Word. And and sometimes they just share their problems with God and and pour their heart out to Him. And I want to encourage us to do the same. And so this series is a psalm for all seasons. And so today we're going to be looking at Psalm 73. And uh, just kind of the theme of the psalm is uh, uh, envy, and, and uh, which kind of leads to bitterness. And so we're going to start on a, a, a negative note. Uh, but uh, next week uh, it'll be Psalm 111 if you want to read ahead. And, and that's for Thanksgiving. So we'll switch to positive there. And, and it's true. Uh, we, can, we can pour our heart out at all times. In fact, God wants us to. Um, he, he wants to be there for us. And he is. And uh, when it feels like he's not, it, it's just a feeling. And we need to rebuke that. Because he is. And so uh, um, you can turn to Psalm 73, and, and we'll stand and, and read that psalm in a moment. It's a psalm of Asaph. And, and uh, you know, I was studying the psalm at first, and, and I, was, I knew in the back of my head, I was like, I need to figure out who this Asaph guy is, you know, uh, and, and uh, kind of give a little background there. And, and there's not a whole lot. Uh, you know, he's mentioned in Chronicles, um, and it turns out he was one of three chief musicians of David. And uh, and uh, he, but he's not mentioned until Chronicles. So the first time David's uh, life is 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 recounted, he's not mentioned there. And I, I think you know, as the children of Israel uh, came back from exile and they're retelling their story, uh, uh, reaffirming their identity as God's people, um, they had all these psalms from Asaph, and they're like, "Who's this Asaph guy?" And they're like, hmm, "Maybe we should kind of include that." I, I'm, that's just my speculation. Uh, but but that. That's why he's in Chronicles. He was one of David's chief musicians. There were three. And he's also referred to as a seer at one point, which was another name for prophet. And they definitely wrote God's word, God's scripture. And uh, even a little later, there's uh, the sons of Asaph are mentioned. And so we don't know if those are his literal sons or if he started a school and taught others uh, to to worship God and lead worship. Uh, probably both. Uh, to be, you know, but we don't know for sure. And so that's all we know about Asaph. And yet, as we dig into this psalm. Uh, we're going to see that Asaph went through a really rough journey. Um, he uh, he went down a dark path and he came out of it because of God, and then he wrote this psalm uh, to praise God. And I think for those who might be in that path as well, or for those who might head down that path, and so. Um, uh, we'll we'll look at that and and uh, before we, we mention it, you know I you know as a young boy I would read comics. Um, uh, my uncle had a bunch of comics I remember and he got them like at yard sales and stuff and and I never collected until I became a teenager and then my best friend had Marvel comics and I would read his and then I kind of got the bug myself and and uh, Marvel had this comic series called What If. And and they they'd be like, well, what if one little key factor were different? You know, uh, what if what if uh, the guy Logan Wolverine became the head of Shield instead of Nick Fury? What would the world of Marvel be like? And and so they'd make these little one-off comics, and they were a lot of fun. And uh, you know, and and really, I was thinking the heart of any good fiction is what if. You think, what if? You know, What if with two families who'd been feuding and hate each other's guts and a child from each one falls in love with each other? And if you don't recognize that, you need to go back to English. You know, you know wh- wh- what if magic were real? Or what if science uh, one day figured out for us to, to travel light speed and we could explore their stars? You know, the heart of fiction is what if? And it makes for good stories. But when we start playing what if with our own lives, that, that starts to head down a dangerous path. And, and then we start comparing ourselves to others, which is kind of the, the heart of what if. We look at others. And, and I, I, think, I think the Bible uh, really encourages us not to do that. You know, uh, um, uh, Jesus told a parable in, in Matthew chapter uh, 20, of the workers' wages. And, and just if, if I can sum up, uh, uh, different workers were hired throughout the day, and uh, some workers were hired at the beginning of the day, some in the middle, and some at the very last hour. And then it came time to pay everyone their day's wages, and, and he paid the ones that got their last first, and he gave them a full day's wage. And so the workers that were there all day long were like, all oh, right. Those guys only worked an hour, and they get a full day's wage? What are we going to get? And they got a full day's wage. And the reality is, it's not about other people. It's about us and God. And, and, and looking at the big picture. It, it, when, we, when we focus on others, it leads us a, a, down a dark path. But, but that's where Asaph went. And thankfully, he did not write this psalm until God had led him out of that path, and and that's what we're going to see today. So if you'll stand with me, uh, we're going to read Psalm 73. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death, their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are, they are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore pride is their necklace, violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness, their heart overflows with follies. They scoff and speak with malice, loftily they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens Therefore, oh, and their tongues strut through the earth. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord. When you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterwards, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I might tell all of your works." the reading of God's word. Amen. You may be seated. Asaph shares this journey he goes through, and, and I, I wonder, we don't know any details, but it's clear that, that he's looking at the wicked who are prospering. And and that is a theme for, for ever since the very first sin. You know, uh, 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 you, you might even... Uh, not the first sin, but the second sin. let's let 's cover the second sin Cain and Abel man uh Cain should have been struck down dead right then and there. <laughs> you could almost say he prospered a little, uh, but uh, uh, he did cry out to God because he felt like the punishment he did receive was too burdensome, and God gave him a little relief, and that 's who our God is he is He is compassionate, he is weary, he is patient because if he gave us what we deserved right when we deserved it none of us would be here <laughs> and so asaph is is clearly seeing that and we know that happened during david's reign uh, the start of his reign was tumultuous and and there were people that he was kind of straddled with that he really didn't want you can you can tell and and i forget i confuse the names a lot but but you know david had it had it tough at times and and politics is just Politics. It's always politics. And, and there's always going to be people who look like are, are really getting ahead and not living by God's way. And Asaph really struggled with this, and he shared it with us. But, thankfully, he shared it with us after he, it, he, was, he was done, and he's through the other side, and he realized the conclusion. Because he starts off his psalm, uh, I, I like to say, uh, the beginning is the end. In his introduction, because he says, "Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart," and and really, that's that's where he comes to at the end of this, the goodness of God uh, to His children, and uh, uh, and. And to those who are pure in heart, you might be thinking like me, uh, whoa, I'm not perfect. I'm not always pure of heart. Uh, Is this only for the pure of heart? Well, we'll get to that because in Christ we are pure of heart. But uh, we'll get to the end, at the end. But uh, he he starts out with the conclusion to remind us, and I almost hope like it's an encouragement, like you don't have to go down the road that I went down. It is not healthy to compare yourself to others. And, and it can lead you to envy and bitterness. And so I, I think he's trying to lead us to where we need to be right off the bat. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. Uh, my steps had nearly slipped. And, and so I feel like he's saying, I, I came up right to the edge. I was about to throw in the towel and give up on my faith, and I was really close and uh And so I think he's trying to encourage us if if maybe we've already headed down this path uh, this is where we need to go, and I think he's definitely trying to encourage us. you don't have to go there if you can learn from me for he was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And wow, you know, he just describes uh, uh, the wicked and, and how they prosper. And, and really that's the theme because as we read this, I, I think we have a tendency to, to kind of translate this to the rich. But this is the wicked who are prospering through their wickedness. And, and, and we, we see that all the time. There, there are people even today that, that for the gain of money are, are making countless others suffer, that is not God's way, and yet it seems like they prosper, and they gain the money that they want, and they have no care or concern for others. and And that's exactly uh, what Asaph sees. And after the problem, he describes in verse four through fifteen the prosperity of the wicked in quite great detail. and And uh, and and we see in, in verses four through nine the fat and the sleek. I, I love I love that phrase. Um, that 's good by the way and it doesn 't sound good but but back in that day, if you could afford to be fat and sleek you were you were doing well and and thankfully unfortunately uh, you know our country as a whole we 're doing pretty well by by the world 's standards and and so and then later, their eyes bulge out because of their fatness that doesn 't sound good does it but 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 trust me, in that day that was that was good and yet they, they wore violence, uh, like a necklace, and, and, or that pride was their necklace. You know, a necklace was meant to be adorned. It was meant to be a showpiece, kind of to draw the eye and, 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 and be, you know, beautiful. And, and so their arrogance, I mean, they were so arrogant that they wanted other people to know how arrogant they were. And, and I'm just like, that's really arrogant. And, and they were violent. And so, you know, uh, coming back to the whole riches, you know, I think riches are, are, is kind of like fire. You know, it can be used for good. It's, it's neither evil or bad, but it can get out of control. A fire can cause a, a forest fire. And, and the, in Corinthians, Paul says, not many of you were rich. And Jesus himself said, you know, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. I think riches are like fire. Not, not many of us can handle it, but there are some. And so we shouldn't assume just because someone's rich that they're automatically like this. Uh, we should, we should uh, look at people's fruit, We we'll look at their life. Are they arrogant? Are they uh, uh, violent? Do they have no cares for other people in the world? And uh, there's actually some hard Hebrew phrases in here. Um, and, and, and so I wanted to highlight uh, one of the harder ones was uh, 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 verse 10 and 11. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? And there's a little debate over who is Asaph referring to by his people. The first thing that pops in my head is God's people. That's kind of where my focus is. Uh, and, and, but as, as you look at the context of the psalm, um, it could also be the people of, of the wicked. And so they're so wicked, they're leading others astray. And they're causing people to say, look, look, look at the life they live. And they're, they're prospering. If there really was a God in heaven, would he allow that? And so people's, other people's faith, that's the clear part of the, the psalm that we understand. Other people's faith is falling by the wayside because they're like, well, they can do whatever they want. And they're getting away with it and i think just because the psalmist himself later on is is a concern that that he almost led the children of god astray uh, i i i tend to favor uh the interpretation that it's 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 other people who are following the rich and and you know that happens uh these wicked rich uh you know any rich, really, are going to have people that want to hang around them, hoping they'll get rich too, you know, and and, and so through their wickedness, they're leading others astray. And, And then down in verse 15, we have 12 through 15, a dangerous road leads to a dangerous place. This is the point at which he almost stumbles. This is the point at which he almost throws in the towel. Because uh, he says, if I had spoken thus. And so, uh, it's kind of funny. I I think it's humorous because he's sharing his heart with us. And he is speaking thus now (laughs) through the psalm. but, But he's speaking as a person on the other end of it. And saying, this is wrong. But at a time, he wanted to say this and say, this is true. But now he's saying, I thought this was true, and it would have led me astray, and it would have led the children of God astray. And he wanted to say, behold, the wicked are always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain I have kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. Following God was pointless, was useless. Look, they prosper and I don't. What's the point of following God? He wanted to say that, but he didn't. Not until he could say it's not pointless, it's not useless. This is what we need to do, and it's worthwhile. You know, and you see this all throughout the Bible, the the Hebrews eleven, the roll call of faith. You know, you read that and, and those people live some rough lives. You know, sawn and two. You know, he gets to a summary of of some of the prophets right at the very end, and they're they're being martyred and sawn and 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 uh, just called to this rough life. And yet, all of those people, the cloud of witnesses in verse uh, in chapter twelve, will cry out and say, "It's worth it. We we testify it's worth it that God is great, and you should too." Amen. And so. So the Bible is full of examples of people that, that live tough lives, and it's worth it for them. And he didn't want to speak that way. He knew that it was wrong, and he didn't. But now he's he's on the other end, and he wants to share with us, and, and so then we get to the solution. And and really, man, this is the key phrase uh, Verse 16 and 17. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. If you just stop there, he's right. On our own, if we get stuck down this road of of comparing ourselves to others, of, of, of envy and bitterness, and on our own, it will be a wearisome task. We will be lost. We will forsake things. But the sentence doesn't end there. Until... I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. God is the solution. God's house is the place where we can find solace. That's why Jesus was so upset when he he cleared out the temple because that's where people were supposed to find uh, solace. We're supposed to find God. We're supposed to find comfort and peace and renewal from their sins and yet they were being taken advantage of. And Jesus knew that, that we're supposed to go to God. And, and and when we go to God, God helps us to see the big picture. And, and just kind of subtly there, he doesn't really expand on it, but it's the sanctuary of God. The whole idea is that, that we come together as God's people. You know, uh, the Lone Ranger Christian may or may not make it. <laughs> You know, he's got God, and, and that's the thing you need most. That's what you need. You need the Holy Spirit. But God doesn't call us uh, to to individual faith with him. God calls us to a family. God calls us to be brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, brother uh, with Christ, and, and, and a family and, and children of God. And we're not supposed to go it alone. In fact, you see, Jesus, when he sent out the disciples, it was always in twos. And when Paul would go on mission, he was almost always with people. And we see a clear, consistent pattern of we're not meant to do this alone. And first and foremost, we're supposed to have God. And second, we're supposed to have each other. And and that's why the author of Hebrews can say, do not neglect the assembly with one another as some are in the habit of doing. Because if you go down this road and you have God, you won't be forsaken. But you might get lost. But if you go down this road and you have your brothers and sisters, at the very least, they can hug you, they can comfort you, they can be with you like Job's friends should have done and never opened their mouth. (laughs) And that's what we're meant to do for each other. Jesus said, by this will the world know that you are my disciples, by your love for one another. So the solution is to go to God to go to his sanctuary, to be among his people. I remember when I was uh, 30-ish and still single, and, uh, you know, uh, I I guess I had a a single midlife crisis because I was angry at God and I didn't even realize it. But I kept staying with God and I kept going to church, and then when I turned 31, it's like God just, washed me over with healing because I didn't even realize I was angry with them and I realized I was I was like I'm 30 31 now and 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 I don't have a wife I don't have a career I don't have anything that I thought I would have what gives God but he loved me all the same and And he brought me back to himself and 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 it was it was while I was worshipping when, when I came to this realization that I was angry, but how much God loved me, and his plan was better and and trust me, now that I've been through it, now that I am married and I have children and 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 uh I have a career, and uh uh you know i I wouldn't go back in time and play the what if game. I wouldn't give it up for anything. And so then he describes the end of the wicked in 18 through 20. And, and really, I think when we go down these dark paths, and, and I think it's bigger than, than envy and bitterness, uh, any dark path that we might get caught up in, I think just a general trend is, is we tend to just focus on that negative thing. And we don't look at the big picture and when we go to God and we go to him in his house among his people, that, that, that just helps us to see the big picture of how truly blessed we are. And, and, and really, the end uh, of people. You know, uh, if, if you didn't have God and at the end of your life, wouldn't you give, give everything you owned for eternity? I mean, if it came to the end of your life, how many deathbed conversions have there been? And I don't know if they're real or not. I'd like to believe they're real. But, but wouldn't you give it all up at that point? It makes sense then. I'm, you know, I'm about to die. This world has nothing to offer. I, I want to be in heaven. It might be too late then. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, why, why take that risk? And, and really, you know, that's coming from an immature point of view. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, uh, but if, if, if you knew how good it, it is to be a child of God, you wouldn't put it off. But you can't know that until you become a child of God. And so that's our job as his children to help people understand that, to help people know that, yes, there are great uh, rewards in eternity, And we need to see the big picture, and it should shape our present reality. But there are blessings of knowing God today, right now. Don't put it off. And in fact, this whole sermon series is really meant for those who have Christ. And, and, and the next seven uh, Sundays, if, if you're hearing these, the, the just the, the benefits and the rewards of knowing Christ and how he carries us through these hard times and how, how he gives us these good times and we can praise him at all times, if any of that just resonates with you and clicks with you and you think, I don't have that, you can and and that's the whole point um, uh, that, that you can have that you don't have to wait don't put it off that's God speaking to you he wants you to become his child he wants you to trust Christ and, and repent of your sins and follow him and you can have all of that and so the wicked will come to a horrible end whether in this life or the next you know some of them Prosper right up until their death i 'll just be honest with you. You know some of them uh, meet the horrible results of their sinful life in this life, and we can see that and we can point to it and say, "Yeah, you know, the kind of life they lived led to this destruction, but some of them prosper right up until their death, but that's not the whole picture. And that's what the psalmist is trying to remind us of. And say, uh, truly, you set them in slippery places, verse 18. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord. When you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. And uh, the psalmist isn't saying that God's asleep. But, but when, it's, when God's timing comes, it comes suddenly. And, and, and without warning. In fact, Jesus warns, the, warns us that when I come again, I'm going to come suddenly and without warning. And it's going to catch some people off guard. So on God's side, he comes at the exact same time. But on our side, sometimes it looks like God's delaying. And that's another temptation of us to say, and, and Peter dealt with that. You know, God is not slow as some count slowness. But he wants all to come to repentance. I'm kind of paraphrasing there. But, but God's timing is perfect. And when he comes, they're going to wish they could give up all their wealth, all their ill-gotten gain, and it'll be too late. And he even He even says, I was brutish and ignorant when, when I was really wrestling with this, when I was struggling with this on my own. I was like a beast. And that's, you, you know, I, I've, I've grown to understand that's like one of the worst uh things in the bible because a beast doesn't know right from wrong a beast is just a beast and and you know that's why nebuchadnezzar was struck down like a beast to eat grass for a while that was like just a, a cruel judgment in front of the whole world and and he couldn't even be a human for a time and he was saying i was like that i i got so caught up in this dangerous path and these dark thoughts Nevertheless, I love verse 23. I am continually with me. You hold my right hand. God is faithful. He does not forsake his children. Never will he leave us nor forsake us. And and the same thing is Asaph's testimony. Even though he was ignorant and brutish like a beast, God held his hand. He didn't feel it. Uh, you know, again, a little honesty moment. There are times when you can't feel it, but our feelings lie to us. And we need to rebuke it with God's truth, with God's scripture. You guide me with counsel, and afterwards you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on this earth that I desire besides you. When you look at the big picture, would you really give up anything? Would you really give up God for anything in this world? No, no, we wouldn't. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is, is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And that's, that's the beauty, and that's, that's the promise of His children, that we'll live with Him forever. Amen. And sometimes uh, we're going to go down these dark paths. Um, we should try to help each other not to, but it happens. And when it does, we should, we should remind each other of the goodness of God. And he kind of recaps it again. In case you weren't listening, in case you didn't see it at the beginning, in case you didn't see it all the way along, in case you didn't see it in my conclusion, let me recap for you. For behold, those who are far from you will, shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I might tell all of your works. And so the, the beginning really was the end. And he wants to help us get to that same place. And so as, as we think about the application, it's all about God. The beginning is the end. And and perhaps through The wisdom of others through the experience of the others and the counsel of others uh, We might shorten some people's dark dangerous journey Or some might learn from this wisdom altogether and avoid it at all I know if you're like me you have to learn the hard way (laughs) And so that's why we come to God That's why we come to God together So that we can encourage one another in this And it's all about God, and then second, it's, it's us in relationship to Him. Yeah. And, and I mean that double meaning. <laughs> you know, it's, it's us and Him, and it's do we know Him? This, this assurance, this promise only makes sense if we have faith in Jesus Christ. And so we need to relate to God. That's the whole point. We need to be his children. And as his children, we can see the big picture, which should help guide us and carry us through those dark times. And we can thank him and we can praise him. And it should should turn us uh, to worship because the reality is we get caught up in what we're focused on. We get caught up in a small portion of it and we forget that God didn't have to create us at all. I think sometimes we we take God for granted. Oh, he's a creating being. Creation is part of his nature. He did not have to create us. He chose to create us. And that's a lot more powerful. And that's a lot more meaningful. When you say God was forced to create us, and and how many of us really say that, but sometimes we behave like that, It, it really diminishes God. And then, so... On the first hand, he didn't have to create us. And on the second hand, he did not have to redeem us. I mean, I I tell uh, children and youth this all the time. If I made a robot and it didn't do what it was designed to do, I'd try to redesign it. And if it still didn't do what it was designed to do, I'd scrap it. I mean, it's just a robot. And thankfully, God did not treat us like robots. He cherishes us, he loves us, and, and he redeemed us, and he did not have to do that. And in his redemption, as we see the big picture, he didn't have to do what he did in redeeming us. He could have just died for our sin, wiped the slate clean, and said, okay, this, I, I've given you a second chance, go off and do good. <laughs> We'd fail all over again. When we ask Jesus to forgive us and be our Lord and Savior, uh, the Bible teaches that Jesus puts his righteous life upon us. So God doesn't just wipe the slate clean and expect us to be perfect from that point on. He wipes the slate clean and then puts the perfect life of his son upon us so that we have total righteousness in the face of God. And so as the psalmist says, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. We may not feel like it at the time because we have sinned and we've messed up that fellowship. But the righteousness of Christ is upon his children and we stand before God righteous. We are saints. We are holy. We need to act like it. And so God doesn't just wipe the slate clean. He, doesn't, uh, he, he also puts his righteousness upon us, and, and, and he makes us his family. Do we see how enormous this is? He didn't have to make us children of God, co-heirs with Christ, brothers and sisters with Jesus, but he did. And some speculate that's what really got Satan's Craw or whatever you you say that he couldn't stand that i don 't know, but it makes sense so god God wipes the slate clean, He puts his righteousness upon us, and He makes us his children that 's the big picture, and Jesus says. That should be so enormous, the forgiveness that we receive through Christ and, 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 and the status that we attain through Christ. That should be so enormous that every other debt that, you know, and by debt I mean bad thing that people do to us, should pale in comparison. And we should just freely give out the grace of God that we re- are, received ourselves. And, and, and back to the parable of the worker of the wages... And, and those people who thought, oh, those guys who worked an hour got a full day's wage. Guess how much we're going to get. I mean, what, what we get, a full day's wage, the grace of God pales in comparison. And we should just be grateful and fortunate that we made it. Yeah. That God opened our eyes, that he allowed us to see, and that we responded in faith. And it's not about others. That's a dangerous road. And then we do come to others who don't know Him. And they're going to fall into two camps. They're going to fall into those who in their life have never accepted Jesus Christ. And they have a terrible fate awaiting them. And as we see people who are on that road who have not for, asked for forgiveness of sins, we our response should be pity, not envy. It should be to, to pity them and, and, and to share with them. Now, let's face it. A lot of the people, maybe you're thinking of some people who are prospering this very day right now, and we don't have a relationship with them. I don't know anyone like that personally. But, but we probably do know some people, even though we're not jealous of them, we do know some people that don't know God, and the same response should be pity. They're headed uh, for damnation. They're headed for eternity, separated from God. And we should see them as the whole picture. They need to hear Christ. They need to know how much God loves them and that they too have a chance. And there's one last group. Those people who did prosper through their wickedness but then realized it, and had that deathbed conversion maybe you know uh they say constantine uh he he had some crazy beliefs back then and and so they believed that when you got baptized that washed away all your previous sins and then at that point you only had to ask for forgiveness for any sin after baptism and that's not really what the bible teaches and so constantine says hmm you know, I won't get baptized until like right before I die. And that's exactly what he did. Like he's in his deathbed and they lowered, uh, he's on his deathbed and they lowered him and they baptized him. And he, he's like, I'm going to get into heaven under a loophole. I, I wonder if we're going to see. I, I, I don't know where his heart is because it's, it's, do you truly repent of your sins? Do you truly ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior? And I don't know if someone who's trying to 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 worm their way into heaven really is in the right frame of mind. And why would you risk that? And why would you want to get to heaven saying, Jesus, I lived my entire life except the last two days for myself. Aren't you proud of me? No. Wouldn't it be much better to get to heaven and say, Jesus, when I realized who you were and that I needed you, I repented and I gave the rest of my life to you. And yeah, I messed up from time to time, but I, I, I tried to follow you as best I could, not to earn my salvation, I'm throwing some theology in here, not, not to, to earn my salvation, but just to be grateful and to live the life you've called me to. Won't that be such a better testimony? And the reality is, uh, as we mature in Christ, we see that as a really immature thought that, oh, I can live my life for myself, and then at the last minute get saved. That's really immature and really dangerous. And I think those of us who are mature see that for its immaturity and how little we would have to give to God and how little we would really be showing our love to God and how much joy... Uh, that we've recognized through suffering, through trial, that God has carried us through again and again? Would Asaph, uh, if he had the chance to go back and not go on this dark journey, would he take it? I don't think so. I, I don't look forward to trials. I don't look forward to challenge. But when I look back at the trials and the challenges and even the sin in my life, that God turned to good... That just makes me love him more, that just makes me realize who he is, and so some of the psalms we 'll be looking at in this series really will will help our prayer life as in our personal worship to god as as we 're talking to him and communing with him uh, I think will be a, a lot more point by point uh, i you know Stephen shared a few of of what he 's been working with with me. But this one's just kind of a big-picture kind of psalm. And and if it does nothing more than lead you back to the beginning, truly God is good to Israel, that's us, to those who are pure in heart. And if you understand the meaning of that one point, you can pour your heart out to God, even when it looks like others are getting ahead by the evil that they do. And and I want to encourage us to do the same. Our our prayer bleeds into worship, and our worship bleeds into prayer, and and the solution is to go to God, go to Him in His house among His people, and it, if you don't have someone that you can share what you're struggling with, you need that. You know I, you know we're not all meant to get up and share, pour our heart out of every last evil thought before the congregation. But you need a brother or sister that you can share what you're struggling with, and uh, you know there's there's no formula. We can't we can't make that. We can't force that to happen. You've got to desire it. You've got to pray for it, and 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 just ask God, Lord, I need someone like that. I need someone that I can share my spiritual struggles with, that can encourage me through through prayer and through your word, and that I can do the same for them. And that's what we try to uh foster in the grow groups you know sunday school has has more personal connection more accountability grow groups even more so and then accountability partners even more so jesus had three of his apostles that that we call the inner circle even jesus had those he was a little bit closer to and we all need that too so let's pray